Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 69. This is Paula Jenkins, a life and career coach and the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to be speaking with Deb Cooperman, who is an amazing coach and journaler. I love that Deb is ballsy and straightforward, and I love that we hit it off right away. She tells it like it is, and she has an amazing breadth of life experience to share with all of us. I really love talking about journaling your way through life with Deb. Before we get to the interview, I want to say welcome and thank you so much for listening. If you want to subscribe, Jumpstart Your Joy can be found on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Player FM. If you're on any of those services, just search for Jumpstart Your Joy and it will come up. And once you have found it, if you will hit the subscribe button, you will get an episode delivered to your mobile device each week, just as they come out on Tuesdays. While you're there, I encourage you to leave a review that helps new people find the show. And I really love hearing everything that you guys have to say. If you want to follow along and get the show notes on this episode, you can head on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 69. And you'll You'll get all of the information about Deb and the links to all the stuff that we talk about. While you're over at the site, I invite you to register for my free e-course, which is called Joy Plus You Unleashed. It's a fun, self-paced class that guides you through how to focus on making more room for joy in your life. There's a sign-up form right on the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Just drop your name and your email right there in the box and you'll be all set. You'll get the first email in the next day or so. So I've been so excited to have Deb on the show. She really is. She has this amazing, beautiful, reflective heart that she really graciously shares just about as soon as you meet her. The theme for this month has been new. So for January 2017. And so some of what we focus on in our chat is how to start a new journaling practice. Deb acknowledged that starting is often the hardest part of developing a new journaling practice or or returning to one that maybe you, you once enjoyed journaling and you want to get back to it. Some people are afraid of what they'll find in the depths of a journaling experience, and some people have a hard time deciding what they will write about or that they'll just end up staring at a blank page. So I love that Deb shares how to get past those fears and dive in and how valuable and wonderful developing a journaling practice can be and how it can really help you work through some of the things that come up in your life. Without further ado, I bring to you the interview with Deb Cooperman. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have an interview with Deb Cooperman. Deb, welcome to the show. I am so glad you are here. I'm so glad to be here. As you know, I'm a fan of your podcast, so I'm excited to be on it. I'm like, ooh, well, fun. (laughs) Yay! Well, why don't you kick it off by telling us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your early sparks of joy? You know, obviously, I knew you were going to ask this because I've been listening to your podcast. And I thought about it. It's like so many things, so many things, like anything art, most things nature. You know, I love to sing, dance, I love to make up stories, plays. I love music. You know, I was born in the early 60s, so I was surrounded by great music, and that was really huge for me, and it still is. But what I really think was interesting was I think that kids find delight and joy all over the place. You Mm -hmm. know, so before we're taught to sit still and not so big or so loud or, you know, girls don't do this or that thing. And I think the older we get, the harder it is to identify the things that bring us joy, because I was just thinking about it, and I was like, I can't remember a lot of the things, because they get kind of, I don't know, obscured by all the cultural norms and expectations and stuff that keeps us so, mm-hmm. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but, you know, I think your work, you know, helping people jumpstart their joy, it's a huge invitation to self-growth and learning, because 
to find true joy, not just the stuff that's distracting and fun and all that. I think we have to unravel all the gunk that's between our grown-up responsible selves and the kind of playful, uncontained, joyful kid we once were. You know, because I think about it, it's like, I used to dance, I used to do this, like, yeah, a lot, like a lot of things. So, yeah, that's yes. a, it's a great question. I'm totally grinning. I'm like, yeah, like there's so much in there because some of it is what almost it's institutionalized learning, but it's also the socialization of becoming a human, I guess. Yeah. And that's hard because I think you're totally right that it is really hard right now, maybe as an adult for lots of people to recall what brings them joy. But then even if they can kind of remember it, it's the layering on of shoulds and norms and all of that. But then, well, sure, maybe painting or singing or dancing in the middle of the field is what would bring me joy. But boy, you know, I'm buttoned up now and I can't do that. So I think that's a really yeah, interesting, I, really interesting I've way of looking at it. I've been fascinated to see how many people, like I was taught, my sister has been coloring like she laughs she says the things that she liked when she was you know 12 she still likes now at whatever she's 57 or something like that she said you know still the same now coloring is big my sister's like she's been coloring you know for years and years and forever like she didn't but people are starting to like play with those things again like oh I get to just color like mm-hmm. I could just color and I get to you know do collage or knit or you know, any of those kinds of things. I just think mm-hmm. it brings, you know, to find out what you did and see if you might not find the same things like running through a field. It may not be, it may not bring the same <laughs> yeah. kind of joy as it did when you were a kid. But, you know, some of those things do. Like I, I have glitter and sparklies and fairy lights and everything all over my house. Yes. I love that. I love that stuff. And, you know, I'm, have them up all the time and people are like okay that's a little weird I'm like yeah well I like it so (laughs) that's awesome you know glitter eyeliner all the time so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I I mean I think even on my Twitter page I say something about like one of my favorite things is glittery shoes like I think there's a really there's something really nice about just embracing what what thing might make you happy in a day and I mean that's one of the one of the things that, like, early on, I think it was probably episode two, but Amy Avazadeh talked about sparkle every day. And she really means that from, like, this genuine space of do something that yeah. just bring, brings you joy and brings you happiness every day. And I just, I love, yeah, if that's fairy lights or sparkle shoes or whatever you need. I think it's mindfulness in a different way, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So your more recent work is around helping people journal their way through life. Yeah. How did you get into this kind of work? I love it. Yeah. Well, I've been journaling since I was a kid. I got my first journal uh, right before I turned 12. I don't remember who gave it to me. Whoever they are, I love them. And like, even though I'd never actually considered it, I don't remember asking for it as a birthday present or anything like that. But as soon as I got it, like I just took like a duck to war. It was like, oh, I got stuff to say. You know, it was it was really funny. It was a five year diary. It had four lines set aside for each of the five years. And I was like, Are you kidding? Four lines? I'm like, I cannot imagine. I was like, how could anyone think that four lines would be enough space to write out thoughts? I was like, No. I so I crossed out it's like this really like very mod seventies little, you know, diary and it had gold filigree five year diary on the cover. I scratched out the five. And I wrote the word one in its place. And I was like, I have a one-year diary. And I wrote my daily thoughts. And, you know, at the time, it was like I was writing about, you know, how my parents didn't understand me and which kid I had a crush on and, you know, like in school that day and whatever. But as I got, you know, older, it sort of, it deepened, obviously. But I continued to do it off and on, you know, sometimes journaling less than others. But I'd say in my late 20s, it became pretty much a daily practice. And, you know, the story of how I got to the work I do is I I say it's pretty sort of journaling meta because when I look back at the twists and turns in my life, it's kind of a no brainer that I got here. But while I was in it, I would not have been able to tell you that this is where I would wind up. I mean, I, I fell into my early career. It was not a mindful choice at all. I love the theater. I was a drama and humanities major at Kenyon College, a small liberal arts college in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. And for a while, I thought I might pursue acting. 
and I really loved it. And I, I was pretty good. But one week during my senior year, I got a taste of what life was really like for a working actor because I auditioned for two different shows in, like I said, in a stretch of about a week where one director said to me, you know, they referred to this character as a 10 several times. And, you know, you know, she said some kinds of things about her. Yeah, you're not that looking or anything, but, you know, you're not a 10. And so, sorry. And then another director told me that I was way too pretty to play the other character. And I thought, this is going to be my life. You know, <laughs> that people are going to tell you, like, I'm the product. And if you look yeah. this way or that way and you don't, you know, or your voice sounds too, it doesn't work this way. I was like, I, I didn't have the self-esteem to withstand that kind of scrutiny. I just couldn't do it. So I went to the College Career Center, which at the time was kind of wimpy. It's way better now. And I'm so jealous of those kids. But I wound up talking to a woman who basically said, you're a good writer and you're good with people. You'd be great in PR and advertising. And so there you go. There I went. Like when I got out of school, I looked for work in theater, PR, and marketing, because I liked theater. So I thought, well, at least I'll be doing something that's kind of fun, right? And I kind of zigged and zagged a bit because nonprofit professional theater people don't make a whole lot of money. So I took a job in direct marketing company as in-house promotions person and then ad agency, and I'd keep going back to theater. And after I landed my dream job at my dream theater, I was there close to a year. My husband at the time, his company, offered him a position in Sydney, Australia oh, that wow. was for anywhere from three to five years. And we really wanted to do it, but they were not making it available. They were not making it possible for me to get a work visa. So they were basically saying she might be able to get it while she's there in time, but we can't get her one if you take the job. So depending wow. on your perspective, fortunately or unfortunately, I didn't have, I couldn't work during this time I was there. So. I was a dilettante. Like I took classes. I became sort of the <laughs> semi-official Sydney tour guide for visiting dignitaries of the company. And it gave me a lot of time to journal and think about what I really wanted to be doing. Because when I got back to the States, you know, I was thinking, well, am I going to go back to theater? There's not a lot of money in it. And I couldn't see myself, you know, sort of my trajectory of where I could go. You know, there I didn't like the options. I didn't want to be a marketing director of theater. I didn't want to be a managing director of a theater. I didn't want to work for a commercial theater PR. And so I was like, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. And so, so I started thinking like, what's going to play to my strengths and what won't I have to prep for myself to do so I can be myself full out. And, you know, so I came back and I freelanced a little, I worked for some, you know, nonprofit theater things as a freelancer, and I did some freelance writing. And then about a year and a half after that, my husband and I decided to split. And I sort of became a cliche and statistic. I was divorced, and I moved to Northern California to figure out what I wanted to do, because I could. <laughs> At that point, it was like mid-90s. I had just heard about coaching. And I figured, I'm going to get a coach to help me figure out what the hell I'm doing. And after working with her for a while, she sort of said, if you could do anything and you were well paid, what do you think you'd like to do? It doesn't have to be a real job or anything like that. How would you spend your time? And I said, well, I like to kind of be a professional friend, a cheerleader, you know, like a party thrower, mascot. I was like, had all these slashes, you know, writer, baker, space setter. Like I want, I totally relate to the Renaissance soul scanner, you know. <laughs> yeah potential like profile of so many of the folks you have on your podcast. But the thing was, I couldn't put it down. And after a while, she said, I know it's sort of cliche to tell you this, but I think you need to be a coach because you get to do so many of those things that you like as a coach, you know, and the party thrower, storyteller, space setter, you know, that's workshop theater. So mm-hmm. in Northern California, there's this um, one of the first or the earlier coach training organizations uh, was there in Northern California, CTI. So I found them, took a class with them. And at the same time, I was looking for part-time work and they had an opening for a promotions person. And I wound up working for CTI. I was in their promotions department. And so I took all the courses (laughs) and and at the same time there, I'm taking writing workshops because I really love writing and I'm really trying to expand my writing. And 
after a while, when you work in a coach training organization, or when I worked in a coach training organization, you're around a lot of people who are asking the big coachy life questions. You know, what do you value? Are you taking a stand for your values? And all that kind of stuff. And I, I was out in California all by myself. You know, my family was all back east. And my sister had two young kids and one, I guess her eldest was in high school, but, you know, two young kids. And then my brother had a baby. And I kept thinking, these kids are not going to know me. I'm not going to know them. And my parents are not going to, you know, be around forever. And family is a huge value to me. And yet here I am in California. So I moved back east. And before I left, I asked the woman in my writing workshop, what am I going to do without this workshop, I like, I love it. This has been home for me. And she was like, duh, you're going to start your own. And so that's a really long story. I'm really terrified how long I went on. That's <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> I'm like, I told you I can blather. Yeah. So I came back East trying to come, you know, bringing coaching that was still relatively new at the time and I started doing the writing workshops and I tried to make a go of coaching, but I had a really tough time making a living. So I went back and got a job and I had that job for eight years. I left that job about two years ago to start the business again. But in the meantime, on the side, I continued to do the writing and journaling workshops and would do the occasional talk and that sort of thing. And then, you know, when I started to think, well, I want to, like make this thing happen again. I want to give it another try. It was just kind of solidified that the work was not straight life coaching, although, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of part of it. It's really helping people use their own journaling practice to almost self-coach. I mean, I don't think you can completely self-coach, I don't want to put all of us out of business, but I on it, and I honestly don't think that people really can entirely self-coach. But I think that it sort of informs the process and gives people a tool that deepens their self-exploration. And if they're not going to be in coaching, it's still a marvelous thing. It helps mm-hmm. their therapy. It helps all those things. So I'll breathe now, and you can ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because there's so much in there. I mean, both kind of the looking back of what you loved and how that's got such a very, I mean, we were talking about it, like it's got a very clear through line, but not something you would have, what, even at the time when you were saying, what is it that I want to do after realizing that advertising, which is so interesting because of course I've also done and still do marketing and advertising. It's coming out of that and saying, but what do I really want to do? And what, what is the creative dream that I want to follow? I love that a friend gave you the nudge of, well, of course you're going to start your own workshop. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What was that like even? Was there a moment there where you're like excited and terrified or? Yes, both. Because I kept thinking, well, I don't do, because I didn't want to necessarily work with people who wanted to be published writers. I mean, that was the challenge in my, in my business for a while is I, you know, I had a lot of people coming to me saying, can you help me write my book? And I had edited and I'd edited a couple of books. And so I sort of was like, well, I guess I could do that too. Mm, and so yeah. I was doing, you know, it was, I was not niched enough, you know, that's the, the whole thing, but I was sort of helping people, but I didn't really want to help them write their book. I didn't, you know, so when my friend Ruth said, you're going to start your own workshop, I was like, yeah, but I'm not, I don't want to work with people who are doing this because they want to be published. Like, right. I don't, I want to, I know that the work that I do can help them eventually one day be published if that's what they want, but it isn't going to directly help them write their novel or help them write their nonfiction book. It's the process that I do, not the product. Mm. Yes. I love that because I think there is something around. So both for the participant in that activity of, like there's something really juicy about each of us as we're trying to find our own way to whatever that thing is that we're supposed to be when we grow up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I think there's something so interesting in there about like, you kind of know the trajectory and there's all these kind of what nudges towards things that maybe already exist, but that you and your heart could see these pieces that come together in a totally different and new way. 
But then, mm. I don't know, because I find it really hard as well. I mean, like, obviously, I love the show so much, and I really love doing my podcasting class. But again, it's like, that's hard to market or hard for me to even come, you know, to really distill down because... It's so similar to what you're saying about I love the process of getting someone comfortable with like, what does it mean to be vulnerable, both with yourself, but also like if you're actually on a podcast and a host, what does it mean to be vulnerable in front of other people? Like, I don't know. It sounds like we have a, there's a little synchronicity right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that when, when people are like what you're doing, what you do here with the podcast and sharing all these different people who are doing so many different things and having these processes that, you know, when I listen to your podcast, I get inspiration hearing other people talk about what their path was and, and where the challenges were and things like that. And where you are and what you're talking about right now, this challenge of, you know, I love doing the podcast. I like teaching the podcast class, you know, these things, you know, bring you joy and they're really lovely, but we live in a world where you got to pay the rent. Uh-huh. You have to take care of your, you know, your the world. You have to pay the doctor. You know, you, have, you need, and if you want the business, you have to pay, you know, for the platforms and the this and the that and all that kind of stuff. So it's that balance of how do we bring what we love forth in the world? And I think one of the things that you and I have both experienced, and even though we didn't really talk about this, I think having a day job and doing your work on the side is is a perfectly legitimate way to do the business until that time that you feel that you can make a go of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's jump over a little bit. Yeah. Like how does, when someone is maybe either working with you, I know you have programs where there's, it seems like there's a group or you also do one-on-one mm-hmm. coaching. I do one-on-one coaching. I do, you know, groups. But my favorite thing to do is to work with people in groups, journaling groups. And um, to me, it's just helping women unravel the conditioning and unrealistic Mm -hmm. expectations that they've absorbed in their lifetime through this process. You know, it is a magical practice. I really do think it's a magical practice. There are tons of studies out there that will tell you that it can rewire your brain for optimism and success and it can prove health and well-being. I mean, it really is magic, but uh, for me, it's a tool and it is a magical tool, but it's going to, I think, help women get to know themselves better, stop apologizing for imperfections and taking up space and, you know, every damn thing that women apologize for all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I love that you just said that because, yeah, I mean, especially I'm really struck by that, that the, sometimes we apologize for taking up space or for yeah. having an opinion or that we couch it as, in my humble opinion. Well, right. Like, what do you think that is? Why are we, what's the conditioning? What does it take to, oh. like, throw that to the side and just... Oh, wow. I, that is huge. That is a question for the ages. I really think, you look at what's happening in the world now, And, you know, it's, I don't even know if I can get into that. You know, it's just so huge. I think the thing that I have decided is that, you know, if I look big, if I look big at the huge arcs of the world and can I change those big, big things to the, I I don't think I can, but I can make a difference in a couple people's lives. You know, I can help some women get to the place where they can embrace their uniqueness and, you know, give up the idea that there's some sort of normal and that they're not it. Because I think that when women are feeling that, the rest of the world starts to feel that. And so mm-hmm. I suppose what I want to do is I want to make the difference in the, the ponds that I'm in because yeah. the, it's so freaking big. It's just so big. Yeah. And the tentacles are everywhere. They're everywhere. And if I start to go there, I'll like, I'll cry. You know, <laughs> I can't, you know, but if I can, yeah. I can make a little difference those, in my little pond. Yeah. Well, and it's totally one of those things that you can, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can totally personally feel the immensity of it. I mean, cause you can't really look around 
very far and not see how there is messaging. And I'm realizing that this, this is not limited to women, of course. I mean, kind of no. I know that the topic of intersectionality is also, or intersectionalism is very pertinent and important and yeah. coming up. I mean, and, and so I think oh, yeah. starting to see that like, even, you know, my, we could talk about my car for a second. I'm four foot 10. So it was hard to buy a car. <laughs> Like, even when I think about that, like, it seems silly, but thinking about, like, I literally couldn't buy some cars because I couldn't see out of them. So I think it's just a great little analogy for, like, how does society set itself up just by the fact that they're, you know, they're going for what is stereotypically the average person. And then, but who are you, who are you leaving off to the side in making the decision that, in this case, the seat only goes so far or your windows only, you know, whatever angled. This right. way. So it's interesting because I, I think, I guess I'm just saying like, I can sense it's so much bigger. And I think the fear is like, where do we even start to dismantle things? Right. And that stops us or stops me sometimes dead in my tracks. Cause I don't know, yeah. like, well, where is the best use of this, of my anguish and outrage? Like, Where can I direct it to actually even make yeah. an impact? Well, I had a, it's interesting. I had a, a woman that you had on your podcast ask me to do, she did a, a written interview on her, uh, Chrissy Tending. And that's her. Yes. No. Love yeah. Chrissy. So yes. she had me and she asked these questions about, you know, as a world changer, what is mm-hmm. your, you know, what, what do you do as a, you know, what do you put your heart and soul into? And I thought they were great questions. And the, the one, the thing that hit me when I was writing because when I journal and when I write, I discover things I didn't know about myself. A little meta moment. I did. I was writing and I realized that sort of this basic thing. is like, I want to do all of the things. Like lately there have been, you know, here's a protest here. There's a, a march there. There's a thing here. Sign your name to this. Do that. And if I allow myself to look at all of these things and think I have to do all of these things, I will be wiped out. I will have no energy for any of them. And the thing that I actually, where I can affect change, I won't be able to do it because I won't have the energy. So I think that that's been a decision that I made quite a while ago. And that was a decision that I made with my business. You know, I had a lot of people say, well, I'm really disappointed because I liked working with you one-on-one while I was trying to write my book. And, you know, people that I've been working with for a really long time, I might still do that work, but I'm not selling that anymore because, like, how well can I affect change if I try to affect change over all these different places? Like, the people in my theater community, I would have people call me and say, you know, can you help me with some PR stuff? I've just stopped taking side gigs to help them write their copy. I just, no, no, there's only so much one can do. You know, I love you. I hope that your theater does really well. Go forth and prosper. And it ain't me, babe. You know. <laughs> yeah. Of course, well, I could have stopped Dylan. But it takes such a presence. I, I love that you've explored that topic for yourself of like, where am I? I don't know if this is quite it, but where am I of the most use to society? And what feels like it's most on purpose for me? Because it's so easy, especially, I mean, I'm a relatively new coach, but it's so easy to feel like getting caught in that trap of, I have to say yes to all the offers. Um, Kind of making an improv joke there, I guess, but like, because what if I say no, (laughs) you know, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. And what does it mean if that money, if there's money tied to that offer, what does that mean if that money doesn't come in? Because it takes a lot of presence to go the other direction and say, well, no, that isn't on purpose for me. Well, I think the thing about in my experience, I mean, I was certified by CTI in like, I want to say like, was it 99 or 2000? I mean, like I've been doing this for a while and I honestly believe, like I know a lot of people say, oh no, you've got a niche, you've got a niche. In the beginning, I think you do take people when you're trying to figure out what you do and what you do best. I mean, I couldn't have been, I mean, I always loved, I personally have always journaled. I have always, I mean, not always, 12 years old, but used journaling as a way to understand myself, 
to get present, to see where I trip myself up, to notice things in my life, to really improve my attitude, all these things, you know, all the things the magic that journaling can do. I have been doing it for a really, really long time. I didn't realize that this was the way that I was going to do my work. It took me a long time to get there. I don't think we magically know. And I look at a lot of my friends who are coaches and who are successful coaches. There are only a couple of them that I can think of in my head who knew almost immediately their niche. Like I can look at Michelle, Michelle Ward. She knew her niche. (laughs) I look at most of my other friends and they're like, "Uh, uh, uh." it takes us a while. So I say, yeah, go ahead. Don't beat yourself up over that one. Just take the clients and you're really good. You ask great questions. You're really thoughtful. And so you're going to help the people who come to you. And as you're working with them, you'll uncover for yourself too where your strengths are and what, I mean, obviously the whole joy thing is is huge for you and that's a big Mm -hmm. piece and you have that whole spiritual background. So there's all that stuff that weaves in and out of that. So Mm -hmm. I think anybody who comes to you is going to get some great value. So take them on. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Deb. Um, Yeah. And it is, it's interesting. I mean, it strikes me that that goes meta on us as well very quickly because it's, it's similar to the journaling thing of, you know, really following your heart and being true and, and maybe just listening a little bit to yourself and having the faith that even if you're not quite sure why you might take on that client or pick up that pen that day or whatever it is, that you're going to learn something about yourself in the process. I think that's super interesting. Um, I think the hard part about journaling for so many people and not even journaling, but coaching is we want a formula. We want a formula that is going to say, do this, do this, do this, and you will get this. Yes. You know, do A, B, and C, and D will happen. And it's not like that. The world doesn't work like that. I mean, we have only so much control over our own, you know, there are things we can control and there are things we can't control. And so if we look at these things and we think that there are steps that work for everybody, that it's one size fits all. And I do this program that I'm going to come to some magical realization. That's one of the reasons I love journaling because I can ask a question of a room full of 50 people and it can elicit different responses from everyone. They'll go in totally different places They'll have totally different reactions to it. Some that will, you know, it's just, well, you know, obviously I love it. I love the practice. I think it's <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. I love that. Well, and when you take away the rules or the, whatever that is, people's proclivity to having rules and open it up for them to say, hey, what if there aren't any? Like, what if you already know this stuff? Because it's already inside of you. It usually, yeah, there's a really beautiful thing that hope that happens with groups when that's what is set as the framework for something. Yeah. Well, I um, think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like to journal because mm, they yeah. they are afraid of what they're going to discover when they start putting the words on the page. They're afraid that this there's something in the back of their mind that says this thing isn't working or that thing isn't right or I'm going to need to commit to something that I'm a little chicken shit about and I don't really want to do. Mm-hmm. And if I put it on the page, I'm not going to be able to escape it. And so I think it takes bravery uh, yeah. sometimes to journal. But the thing that I know is that it it doesn't have to happen like in an instant, just because you write it down doesn't mean you have to do anything about it right now. Right. I think yeah. sometimes the great thing about journaling is you get to practice. You get to talk about, oh my God, I'm terrified. I don't want to do that thing that I know I have to do. So I'm not going to do it right now. And I'm going to forgive myself. And, you know, two years later, maybe you come back and you look at that and you think, oh, okay, maybe next time I won't take so long because that was painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I really like that you've said that because I think whatever that thing is that you're most scared of writing down or telling another person or sharing or whatever it is, I love that there's permission in that to just let it, let it sit, let it be. And that you don't have to take action on it just because you put it down on paper or you said it out loud. Like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of power in at least acknowledging it because then it's out there and you can start to work with 
whatever it is. I know it gets hard to talk about that, you know, and <laughs> in a show like this without a specific explanation or example. And I'm not asking for one, but like it's just, it's hard to start to put your arms around whatever is that dark piece of yourself or that scary piece of yourself. If somebody's kind of grappling with that, if they've written that thing down or they've started working through whatever that thing is, what is your, how do people get through it? Uh, I think they just keep, it sounds so terrible, I think, but uh, <laughs> they just have to keep going. You know, it's hard. It's not, you know, there's no magic bullet for change. And I think that's the thing about journaling. I mean, I love it. And it's, you know, sort of like I keep saying, it's kind of magic, but it, it is, it's a process. And if you are stuck on something and something's painful, I mean, if it's really painful, get help. Like mm-hmm. go, yeah. go see a coach or a therapist or talk to a good friend because sometimes we just, we write ourselves in circles, right. um, yeah. but it, it's a place to try out your thoughts and to see mm-hmm. what's in there because a lot of times what happens is it's just rolling around in your head and you don't even really know what you're thinking. It's just all this shit that just keeps playing over and over and over. But when you get it down and you can say, Oh my God, like we were before we hit play, we were talking about the, you know, kind of an editor, the internal editor or the, the, you know, inner critic, Mm -hmm. because when you write this stuff down, when you presence an internal editor or critic, and you start writing the things that are in your head, oh boy, that was really stupid of you. Why did you say that to her? And you never should have done that. And all this, you start to see the way you talk to yourself. Like, oh, I'm stopping myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, I could talk about this stuff for hours, and I feel like I'm not making a few sense right now. going all over the place. Like I'm bouncing. But there's just so many it's as individual as the person who's writing. I mean, I can, I have all sorts of tools and tips and tricks and, and things like that, but it is going to become your own practice. It will become your own practice and you will maybe do the things that I've taught and you'll say, Oh, that really, that thing that Deb taught me was really terrific. And I'm going to keep on using that. Or it just suddenly becomes this thing that you do like any practice, you know, in the beginning when you do yoga or something like that, you say, God, okay, I have to move my hip this way and my arm that way. And then in the end, you're like, oh, you know, that's the sun salutation. That's the you know, tree pose. Mm-hmm. I know how to do that. You don't even have to yeah. think about the angles and the how you, uh, so it's right. a similar thing. It's a practice. Well, and as we look kind of at January, if somebody's saying, yeah, I kind of would like to try this out, or they know like in their heart of hearts that journaling has been something they're drawn to, or maybe they had a journal at mm-hmm. age 12 that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of mine. I know, I know even what box they're in at my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how, how does one ease back in if it's a new practice or reacquainting themselves with this practice? What's well, a beautiful way, an easeful way to start it again? Well, I mean, I can tell you a couple things. I also, you're okay with me just sort of uh, pimping my little, I have a free ebook. Um, oh, yeah. Called that, <laughs> called, it's called Write That Shit Down. And it's about how to journal and why it's just about the best thing you can do for everything in your life. And what I tell you in there is I give you some ideas about what to do. But my, my first one, I mean, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a sort of crunchy granola kind of uh, journaling person. I'm kind of crunchy granola and a little kick-ass. And so my first tip for you is a little wise-ass, but I just say you have to start writing. Mm-hmm. I know that that's really, you know, kind of, ugh, like really what? But no, tell me what to do. I think you pick up the pen, you get some paper, and you just put the pen on the paper and you say, you can even write it on the page you know, okay, subconscious or okay, mind, let's have a conversation here. And if you don't know where to begin, write that down. I don't know where to begin. I want to start journaling. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Like, what am I supposed to do here? This isn't going to help me. Let's have the conversation. You know, talk to the page. You're talking to yourself, but have the conversation. Really put it out. If a to-do list starts running through your head, I always say, let the to-do list run. Like, let it run. Because eventually something will pop up. 
it will feel like it needs a little bit more air, a little more of your attention. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, oh, okay, let's go here a little bit. Let's get on that train and ride. Let's see where that takes me. Yeah. But seems like it's a little bit, especially if it's old, what, you haven't been doing this recently, like any practice, it's going to take getting back into something or starting something. But it's almost, yeah. I don't know. I mean, when I'm writing, especially if I'm trying to force a blog post or whatever, yeah, there is a lot of gunk. I think that, that word's come up a couple times, but it's a great one. Like, yeah. You've got to clean the, you know, you got to clean the, the path or clear mm-hmm. the path so that you can get back into or access some of that deeper wisdom that's probably, like you're saying, just waiting to bubble up and, and make itself present. Yeah. And sometimes you can just say, I want to get to the stuff that I need to get to. Mm, yeah. So I'm inviting it out. Let's go. Like that. One of my favorite tricks for people is when they're writing for, it's not a trick, it's really just a tool, but when people have been writing for a while and if they feel stuck, it's really simple. Just write down what I really want to say is, and then keep going. Because mm-hmm. every time you do that, somehow or another, it's a magical invitation to say, all right, I'm serious. Like, let's talk. What I really yeah. want to say is, and you could just do that. You could start with what I really want to say is and write, mm-hmm. and then give yourself a minute or two to write and then say, now what I really want to say is, and see where you go. It just keeps dropping you deeper and deeper into all this amazing self-knowing. Oh, really I love fun. it. Yeah, yeah, that feels like it's just that really, I mean, awesome. It's just giving me goosebumps. Like this really cool idea and invitation to be like, okay, self, let's do this. Like, <laughs> almost right. like game on. Like, let's just know or go, okay. And kind of like right. pointing it further and further down and giving it the space to say like, no, there's something here and I want to know what it is. I feel like it's in some ways, you know, another thing that sometimes they do in coaching is like having a dialogue with the inner critic. And it almost feels like that same thing that you're teasing out that little juicy tidbit that is maybe being elusive or you're having a hard time putting words to. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I have a whole thing. I like, I have a whole blog post about having a conversation with your editor because I think you start out and just start out and like whatever the editor is saying, you know, like the editor says, well, you're really not like, I don't know. You really shouldn't apply for that job. You don't have the skills. Mm-hmm. And just write that down because that's what your editor is saying. And, or your inner critic, your inner critic saying, you don't have the skills for that job. Okay. Well, maybe I don't, but if I don't try, so like actually have the dialogue, do it like a play, inner critic, yeah. you know, don't try, you suck. And then you come back and like, oh, I don't really suck. And eventually you get to it. Like, I actually have an example on a blog post of a conversation I had with myself on. And it's finally like, oh, fuck you, inner critic. You know, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, buzz off you. But I'm not listening to you, you know. Right. You're not helping me. <laughs> Just now. And, and I think it becomes fun. It kind of becomes fun because you, like, bring it out. Mm-hmm. And when you bring it out into the light, it just cannot survive. It can't survive because you just keep on saying, okay, I'm calling you out. So say another thing. Yeah. I'll just try. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it, and it's very similar along the same lines of like you're saying, when you bring it out to into the light, whether that's, I think there's something magical about writing it, obviously, but yeah. even if it is just a mental dialogue or something that, you know, you can, you can have with yourself and your inner critic, it, once the fear or the thing, whatever it is, gets called out, it's very hard for it to be as scary or yeah. as awful, if it's the inner critic, as you really feared that it was. Because it's more scary just not being unknown, I think. There's something very, there's almost something like codifying and magical and reassuring, is it? I don't know, but that comes out of you knowing what the fear is. Yeah. And the more, I mean, for me, the more you write, the more you get it down, the more you see the themes that run you. Mm -hmm. You see, they may show up in different ways, but you'll see the things that stop you. The things that you, that you don't, the blind spots that you have, the shit that you make up. You know, and once, once you start, that that's the thing that I, I find is that once, once people start journaling and really see the magic in it, it becomes mm-hmm. addictive. Like carrying journals around everywhere and finding that you don't want to pick up your cell phone 
and scroll through Facebook. You actually want to take your little carry with you journal and jot down the stuff that you're noticing. And it just makes you more present to your own life, uh, which I think is a pretty damn good way to be. It's, you know, not always easy, but I mean, we're here. We might as well, you know, but it's that, you know, that old Mary Oliver poem, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? Um, yeah. So many people love that poem and quote it, and I see it on Pinterest all the time. And are they doing it? You know, are you dicking around? Are you just waiting to retire? Are you, you know, just mm-hmm. do the work? Like, that's why people come to. That's, I mean, that's probably, you know, they're listening to your podcast. They want this stuff, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, that poem is an invitation to dive in. That poem's not an invitation to pin and move on. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Go, oh, yeah. What will you do? I'm just gonna I'll pin. pin. Here. What am I gonna do with my one wild and precious life? I'm gonna pin things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love Pinterest. Passive. I love Pinterest. It is a dangerous, dangerous place. I love yes. it. It's fun, but but you know, that's no. I, I don't want to pin my wild, yeah. one wild and precious life. <laughs> yeah, I want to live it. I want to live it. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I want to figure out what it is that moves me and motivates me, and and where is the joy, right? So yeah, where is yeah. the joy? And following that through. So if somebody wanted to work with you, what do you have happening in 2017, or where can they find you and and find out more well, about journaling? Oh wow, they can find me on debcooperman.com. It's D O O P E R M A N. And in April, I'm going to be launching a program to help women jumpstart or deepen their journaling practice. It's a monthly themed topics and prompts and community and music playlists and pop culture references. Because I know a lot of people know that journaling is good for their health and it's magic and all that sort of stuff, but they don't always do it. They don't find the time. So sometimes we need structure and accountability and, you know, mm-hmm. smashing playlists and all that sort of stuff to make it fun and to get people going with that that kind of community accountability. So I'm going to be offering monthly sessions until April for people to kind of test it out. And then after that, it's going to be offered every three months or for a full year. With the, with the full year, people get like a, a little journaling goodie bag of fabulosity. So if they do the whole year. Yeah. So there's that. And then, of course, you know, one-on-one and all those other fun things. <laughs> But yeah. that's the main that's the main place that I would I would tell people if they're curious to to come take a look. Cool. And I will link up uh, to all of that in the show notes. And you said, is it a free e course? Is write that shit down? Write that shit down. No, write that shit down is it's a free ebook. Okay. Is the, is, a, is an ebook? Yeah. Write that awesome. shit down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will also link up to that. Thanks. Well, yeah. Do you have anything else that you? Want to bring up before we get to the last couple of questions? Oh gosh, no. Other than the fact that this is just delightful, and you know, like I said, I've I've enjoyed listening to your podcast, and I can't imagine that this one is going to be as exciting as yet. Listen to me, I'm apologizing, but no, I'm not really apologizing. <laughs> oh no, but I am a rambler, right? I'm just like, mm, so. <laughs> you're the best stuff. No, it's okay, great. edit that part out. Definitely edit that part out. <laughs> I'm leaving it in, lady. (laughs) Don't you dare. Oh, oh, no. I'm kidding. I'll get that. Oh, God. So, yeah. What else do I want to say? Uh, No, just that I love, I love your uh, your podcast. I've enjoyed it so much. And I'm, uh, you're a great interviewer. You're really fun to interview it. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I've said before, like, there's something magic to me about being able to sit and be present with someone else for, you know, if it's an hour or whatever, and and just really delight in their story and who they are and the divinity that they bring to this planet. I mean, mm. um, because I, you can, at least I see the spark in every single person. There's a moment in every, or more than one, in every interview where I'm like, oh, look at that. Like, that is amazing. So yeah. it's my absolute joy to be able to to get to have the conversation. So thank you for being on the show. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. 
I love I, I loved uh, the whole idea of unraveling the gunk just even from the yeah. top of our conversation. Like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So here we go for the last couple. Okay. Um, you juggle a busy life and business. What does balance look like for you? Or if the word harmony is better to, to go for in this question, what does harmony look like in your life? Yeah, I don't really believe in balance. I think harmony is that I like harmony because I think that balance assumes that there's a static place that you will, it will one day be balanced. I think it's, again, like all of the things I'm talking about, it's process. So what it looks like to me is freedom, spaciousness, I don't know, connection. Connection is really important to me. So those are the sorts of things that if I have freedom and I have connection and spaciousness within my days and in my life, and that feels pretty darn good to me. That and glitter and, uh, yeah, glitter will really help. And so last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Gosh, I think journaling really helps. (laughs) Honestly, there are studies, as I said before, there are studies that writing for 15 minutes a day or writing three things that you're grateful for every single day will improve your outlook which will improve the quality of your life, which will then lead to more joy. So I'm all for that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff about the gratitude lists that I think sort of ignores the fact that things might be crappy in your life. And it's just like, oh, a honey crisp apple is so wonderful. And, you know, my Ugg boots feel so good on my feet. Meanwhile, you know, somebody in your life is really ill. But I think that the way that I do it is I just pick up on a moment where there's something great in my life. And I just say more of that, please. More of that, please. And I, I love that. I think that's helpful. And I also, I just, you know, good music, good music mm. always. And that's another one to me, um, having a soundtrack, listening mm. to good music when I'm cooking, all that sort of stuff helps. Just paying attention to your life. Oh, Deb, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Paul. I had so much fun, obviously. You can tell I could talk about journaling for hours, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll have to to do a part two. I would would really welcome that. Thank you so much, Deb, for being on the show. I really loved getting to speak with you. (laughs) To get all of the links or to find out more, you can head on over to the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 69. You'll get all the links to Deb's site and the social media links so you can follow her. And I will put a link on my site so you can sign up for her free e-course, which is called Write That Shit Down. And that'll help you kick off your journaling practice. And I encourage you to reach out to Deb and let her know what you thought of this episode. Next week on the podcast, I will be tackling the topics of pruning and taking an inventory of what is working and maybe what isn't working so well for you in this new year. We're going to have a really fun mix of personal stories and I'll be sharing how I'm resetting my own personal intentions and expectations to make for a more easeful and joyful year. So I hope you guys will come back for that one. Um, I'm really looking forward to revisiting some of the things that have come up and seeing what I want to keep, what I, what is working, and maybe what I want to let go of. I will see you guys all next week for that show. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.